All right. We're going to start today Hebrews chapter 11. If you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We are doing Old Testament study, and we're kind of using uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Faith, as kind of a template uh, of where we're, who we're going to talk about. We're not going to do every verse and every chapter in uh, the Old Testament. So, so this is kind of our, our, uh, our plan here. But if you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, and starting in verse 1, they call this the Hall of Faith because he talks about faith, how how important faith is. And he starts in verse 1, he says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And this is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. That's where we started off in Genesis 1.1. God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now we're going to jump ahead today, though, to verse 32, and it says here, and what more shall I say? We've got a whole bunch in the middle there we're going to uh, talk about and look at, but I, I, I mentioned uh, this last week, and I, I want to jump ahead a little bit. Verse 32, and it says, what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms administered justice, gained what was promised, promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. He, he, he kind of lumps a whole bunch of people in there today, and I want to I talk about Samuel and the prophets, but really focus in on one prophet today, and the prophet, and I mentioned him last week, and I want to look at him today, and his name is Elijah. Where's Elijah? There he is. Our prophet, our, our uh, in-house prophet, Elijah there. But Elijah was one of the Old Testament prophets, and, and uh, you know, so he's one of my favorite characters, uh, personalities in the, in the Scripture for a lot of reasons. But sometimes we think, we look at these guys and we say, you know what, they're so far they're, uh, you know, above us, they're just like in another complete sphere. But turn back, if, actually turn ahead to the next book, to the book of James from Hebrews. Turn a, just a few pages ahead to the book of James in chapter 5, and, and James uh, talks about Elijah here, and I, and I find it very encouraging what he says. In chapter 5, uh, let's start in verse 16. He says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now that's kind of including all of us. And then he says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Prayer Works and I read today, uh, read this week, uh, uh, some texts uh, that prayer changes things, and it really, really does. Prayer is powerful and effective. This is what God's word is telling us here. But look at verse seventeen. It says Elijah was a man just like us. And that's what stands out to me. He was a man just like he wasn't way above us. He was just like you and me. It says here, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So 
He was a man just like us, James tells us, but he prayed. And his prayers, they affected what was going on in that day and that age. I truly believe that you and I, when we pray, things, things happen. Prayer is powerful and effective. That's what he says here. But, but notice again, he was a man just like us. He was just like you. He was just like me. We, we, we say, well, that was Elijah, and Elijah could do that, but, but I can't do that. But you, you don't know what God can do with a person whose heart is set apart for him. It says the eyes of the Lord, you know, search, you know, throughout the earth for, for those whose hearts are set apart, who are, are turned to him, who are willing and able to give their lives and hearts to him. God wants to use our lives. So let's look at, at this prophet, this man, Elijah. Let's turn back to 1 Kings. And, and we're not going to look at every verse there, but first, we'll start in 1 Kings chapter 17. And I'm going to hit some highlights there, but I would encourage you to go back and read these, these three chapters on your own and read them slowly and, and let God uh, open them up to your heart, to your mind, and see what God would say to you specifically. Now, Elijah was a man in 2 Kings, uh, we're not going to turn there, but in 2 Kings, it kind of gives us a little description of him. It says that he was a man with a garment of hair and with a leather belt around his waist. And the king said that was Elijah the Tishbite. Somebody said this is what the guy looked like. He said that was Elijah the Tishbite. So he, he had kind of a unique way of dressing. He was kind of like the, the, the early uh, precursor, maybe you would say, of John the Baptist. John the Baptist dressed kind of strangely as well. But he, he, so he had this garment of hair, and he kind of stood out or, or whatever. But, but uh, someone pointed out this, that the name Elijah means this, Yahweh is my God. Yahweh is my God. And that's, that's this man, Elijah. He's, he's, but keep in mind now, through all these incredible things that happens, he's a man just like us. He's a person, he's a human being just like you. And what does God want to do with you? And with me. Chapter 17, verse 1, we see God's direction and we see God's provision. Chapter 17. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, and Ahab is the king of Israel, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. This is what we just read about in the book of James, right? The prayer and about the rain and no rain. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. The Lord said to Elijah this, Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. And he went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. This is God's provision. This is miraculous, right? But it was at God's direction. And, and David Guzik points out that God led Elijah by faith, but it was one step at a time. He didn't give him you know, five steps ahead. He said, one step. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go, leave here, and go to the Kareth Ravine. 
Notice he says, I want you to hide in the Karen Ravine. People have written extensively just about this idea that uh, they call it the hidden life. And what they mean by that is that you and I get alone and hide ourselves with God. The hidden life, that, that we would be alone with God. This word careth, and some translations call it chereth, it, it literally means to cut away. And maybe, just maybe, this idea is that, that Elijah had to get to this place where, where, where God got him away by himself and had to do some cutting away in the life of this prophet, this man Elijah. Sometimes God has to do that to you and me, right? He'll take us to places where it's, it's just not a lot happening there. He took Moses to the backside of the desert for how long? I'm sorry? 40 years. You can speak up like Anthony. You don't have to hold back. Just speak up. 40 years he got him on the backside of the desert out there taking care of just a few sheep or whatever. But he had some cutting to do in Moses' life to prepare him for what he had ahead. This prophet Elijah, again, he was just like you and just like me. And God was doing things on a daily basis by his life, in his life. Miraculously, it says that the the, the, the ravens, they brought him, they brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the, from the brook. But before that, it says in verse 5, it says, he did what the Lord had told him. If God speaks to you and me, you know what? We need to be obedient to what he says. If we want to see what God is going to do, we have to take the step. He says, uh, you know, I want you to leave here and I want you to go here. Are you and I going to obey that and say, well, uh, you know, I'm going to put out seven fleeces to see if that's really the right thing to do. And maybe if you line it up just like this and this and this, but Elijah, he just obeyed. He did what God told him to do. He was taught there to depend on what God told him to do, and then he was obedient. And then what, what happened? When, when he did what God told him to do, what did God do? God miraculously provided. So we see here, just in these first verses here, we see God directing this man, and I believe God is still directing today, and we see God providing for this man, and I believe God is absolutely providing for us today. I've seen it uh, my whole Christian life that God has provided day after day. But notice it's a daily thing, right? In the morning and in the evening. And, and we, we know the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, you know, give us this day our daily bread. The manna came down day by day, except for at the end of the week, and it was for two days. Direction. Look at verse 7, though. Though we want to stay where we are for a long period of time, and sometimes God asks us to stay in the same place for a long period of time, but change happens. How many of you love change? One. And I don't think he understood what I asked. He does love change, right? We like some change, but you know what? Most of us, you know, we hate it. We don't want things to change. 
But there's, there's something that happens in change. And, and look what here it, it says here in verse 7. It says, sometime later, we don't know how long, but sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Sometime later, the brook dried up. That miraculous provision that, that, that God was taking care of him, giving him that work. But interestingly, think about why did the brook dry up? Because there was no rain, right? And why was there no rain? Because he prayed that there would be no rain, right? I mean, let's connect all the dots here. He prayed about it, and it happened. He'd go like, God, why is, why is it drying up? No, he just, he just listened. He watched to see what God was doing. Sometimes we watch, and, and we start to get all stressed out, but the brook is drying up. What am I going to do? How am I going to make it? What, you know, what's the next thing that's going to happen? And, and, and we get ourselves all worked up, and, but God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. Verse 8, it says, then, when? When's the then? When the brook dried up. Not before, but after the brook dried up. It says, then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. He obeyed. And when he came to the town gate, he found a widow there. And, and, and you can read the rest of the story that, that God provided, just like he said. He said, I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. And guess what? He got there. He did what God told him to do. He got there. And, and guess what? God did what he promised he would do. He provided for them. Again, change, we're so worried about change. If it changes, how am I going to survive? How am I going to pay the bills? If I, if I change and change this job or that job or this house or that house, how am I ever going to survive? How am I, and it, it begins to focus on, how am I going to do it? But it's not, it's not about how, what am I going to do. It's how it, what is God going to do? It's interesting, uh, David uh, Guzik, again, he points out that Zarephath was a, a Gentile city. And for, you know, a Jewish prophet like this to go and, and stay there, that's, that's kind of a challenging move for him. He, you know, it's like when, when Jonah was told to go and preach to the Ninevites, he said, no way, I'm not going near those Ninevite people. But Elijah, he went. He went to Zarephath. He was obedient, and God miraculously provided. Again, so we see God's direction, and we see God's provision. God is still doing those things today for you and for me. Chapter 18 now, it's an incredible chapter. Again, we're not going to look at all of it, but, but it's really this, this battle, this battle on Mount Carmel. And you've heard about it. But again, I'd like you to go back and read this slowly and carefully for yourself. But battles are a part of life. It wasn't just prophets who had to face these kinds of battles. You and I, do any of you face battles in your life? Sometimes you've got to battle with yourself. Sometimes you've got to battle with, with the enemy of our soul. Sometimes you're battling with just the direction of the world, the direction of our society. But, but life is full of battles. But God, 
took him to this place so that he could, and, and prepared him, I believe, so he could fight this battle. Look at chapter 18. We'll start in verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab, again, king of Israel, and told him, and, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. He, went to, he told him where Elijah was. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Not a, not a nice way to greet him, of course. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. So this is the false gods, the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 uh, prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. That Jezebel is Ahab's wife. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel, assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel, and Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you, will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. This is the setup for what's going on here. This battle between the false prophets and Yahweh, the living God. But notice in verse 21, he gives this challenge. He gives this uh, challenge to the, to the people, the people of Israel. The people were all there watching. And he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? How, how, how long are you going to try to bounce back and forth? He says, you need to make a choice. You need to choose who you're going to follow, much like uh, we find uh, uh, Joshua saying to the people of Israel, choose this day whom you will serve. But what was their answer here? The people said nothing. They didn't even answer. Well, guess what? No answer means that you're not going to follow the Lord. It, it, it's a choice that you and I make. Jump ahead to, well, not jump ahead, but go to the next verse, verse 22. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one left of the Lord's prophets, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves. Let them cut it into pieces, put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, Yahweh, and the God who answers by fire. He is God. And then, then all the people said, what you say is good. The God who answers by fire. Well, you know, they... The false prophets in verses 20 through through uh, 22 through 29, they they did that. They they danced around, and we're not going to read all the verses there. They 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 got frantic actually, and got crazy, uh, calling upon the the false gods. And and guess what? The, the false gods didn't do anything because they don't have the power to do anything because they're not even true or real. It gets kind of crazy. You can read it. You know, Elijah's kind of almost taunting them in a way, well, where's your God? Like, is he away on a trip? Is he, uh, you know, is he on the, in the bathroom? Is he, what, where is this false God of yours? 
the false prophets, God, they, they did nothing. But in verse 36, we see the God of Elijah, he does answer by fire. Verse 30, though, it says uh, in verse 30, if you'll look at that with me, it says this, Elijah said to all the people, come here to me, and they came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. There was an altar there to Yahweh, to the Lord, but it was in ruins. So the first thing Elijah did was to kind of get that back in shape. And, and, I, and there really is a message just in that alone that sometimes, you know, the altar of our hearts before the Lord, it's in ruins. We've, we've, we've you know, left our devotional life aside. We've, we've left that time with God, that time where we hide alone with God. We've left it aside. It's in ruins, and God wants us to rebuild that, that altar in our lives where He is the only living, true God. So anyways, verse 36, we see that the Lord God, He answers. And at the time of sacrifice, you know, Elijah had his altar. Their gods didn't do anything, but he had the altar that he prepared. He had it soaked with water three times just so they'd know that, that this is really what God is doing here. Verse 36, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Isn't that beautiful? Answer me so that they'll know that you are Lord and that you are turning their hearts back again. This is what God wants to do is turn our hearts back to him. Again, it's this idea of rebuilding the altar to turn our hearts back. Look at verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and it burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the soil. And also licked up the water in the trench. It, it burned everything up, even the rocks and the dirt. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate. And they cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. This incredible thing. God shows, he proves himself that who he is and, and the people's response. Their first response when Eliza challenged them by faith to trust in the Lord. What was their first response? They had no response. But now they see this and, and their response is they, they like fall prostrate. In other words, they fall on their faces before the almighty God. And they say, they say that Yahweh, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. You know, we all need to get to that place. We totally need to get to that place where we have this encounter with the almighty God. And we say, you are God and there is no other. You are the only true and living God. Chapter 19, we'll go through this quickly. I'm fast running out of time here. But chapter 19, after all that Elijah's been through, all the provision, all the direction, this incredible uh, you know, explosion of fire on the altar up on Mount Carmel, and... and after that, and all the, you know, all the false prophets, they, you know, they, they killed them all. 
But after all that, this victory, this tremendous victory, we see Elijah in fear. We see Elijah in depression. Again, what did, we, what did we say back in the book of James? What did we see there? That Elijah was just like us. He had this incredible experience with God. And, and then the very next chapter, it says that, that he runs for his life. Wow. But isn't that like us too? We, we have this incredible mountaintop experience. And, and then the next day, we're down in the dumps and we're depressed. Wondering, like, how are we ever going to survive? Chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel, his wife, everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. The prophets, like one of the prophets, they're all dead. I'm going to kill you, basically, she said. But, but the, you know, the gods are you know, going to deal with her, but you know, they've already proved that they can't do anything. But verse 3, it says, Elijah, he saw and he was afraid. And he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. And he came to a broom tree and he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm no better than my father and my father's family. And then he and says, then he lay down under the tree and he fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. You know, it's interesting. He we saw in James also that Elijah prayed and he had this faith and, and we saw that God did this incredible thing. But he's still praying here, but, but his prayer here, here is, take my life. I, I, I don't know if I can do it anymore. Sometimes we get to that place in life, don't we? You ever get to that place? I'm just not sure I can do it anymore. You know, take my life. Take my life. What does God do? Verse 6. And Elijah looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water, and he ate and he drank, and then he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night. God, again, he, basically he let him rest and he fed him. God says, food and rest. And he, he says, get up and eat. The journey's too much for you. Get up and eat. He, he let him rest. And then he fed him and he was strengthened by what God provided for him. So that now Elijah, he's... He's still moving. He's still got some issues in his heart and his life, though, but he's, he's moving now. And he travels 40 days, 40 nights. He gets to this cave. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? 
He says the same thing again in verse 10. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword, and I am the only one left. I'm the only one. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. What what did Elijah need? What did he need? He needed to meet with God. He 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 needed God to speak to him. So you'd expect, you know, Mount Carmel, this incredible fire came down. God proved himself by this miraculous uh, thing that happened. So you kind of thought, well, that's, God's going to speak to Elijah, and maybe that's exactly how it's going to happen. But it says, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper or still, small voice. What did Elijah need? He needed to hear from God. He needed this personal encounter with God and And it wasn't like some crazy wild thing that happened. It was the still, small voice. You've heard that phrase before many, many times. This is where it comes from here in this chapter 19 of 1 Kings. Verse 14, he says it again. Actually, the first time I said, when I read it, that was the first time he said it. Verse 14, he replied, He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. And then he tells him a whole list of things that he wants him to do. Go back the way you came. Get busy. Do something. Don't just sit here in this cave. Don't just, you know, focus on yourself and how, you know, how bad it is out there. God speaks to him, and I believe God speaks today. You know, he had this, this voice. God spoke to him and, and, and told him exactly what he wanted him to do. So, so this, this thing about the fear and the depression, and, and it's such a radical thing today, too. And, and you know, the, uh, there's so many ways that the world is trying to deal with this, but the Word of God shows us how Elijah, it, you know, God deals with Elijah in this. He speaks to him, and he, and he tells him to get up and get moving. One of the worst things that you can do is just to sit still and do nothing. I find it. I get depressed. I get depressed a lot. And I find if I just sit there and stay there, it doesn't get better. But if I get up and do something, things begin to change. Now, you've got to do the right things, right? You don't go to the bar and get smashed. That's not going to help you. Alcohol is a depressant. That's just going to make things worse. 
but to listen for that voice, to get alone with God and listen for that voice of God. Now, he may speak in a radical way, but most often I find he speaks in that still, small voice. He speaks through his word. But you've got to open the word. You've got to get into the book and see what God has to say. I'll tell you a little bit of a story, and some of you know this story, but how this verse uh, 15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. We came to New England, 1988. We were here for a year, and we got very discouraged. And so some folks over in Connecticut said, we want you to come over here because it's way better over here. So we thought, oh, yeah, that's, that's what we need to do. Let's go over there because it's going to be way better. It's going to be easier. So we, we packed up. We moved to Connecticut. Now, it's only 30 miles away. You know, it was the Danielson area. And, and we started a, a work over there, too. We had started a you know, fellowship here. So we shut that down here. We went there. We started a work over there. And it, we weren't... Let me tell you, that was like uh, being on the backside of the desert. I mean, it was horrendous. Like, what are you doing here? Like, like God said to Elijah, what are you doing here? I, I'm, we're over there. And God is saying to us, what are you doing here? And my answer was, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I, this, is, this is like, you know, the house from hell that we lived in. You know, it was crawling with fleas. We couldn't get rid of the fleas. We, we did so many of those little bombs that I think it, it blew our brains apart. The chemicals. And the, the well on this property, we couldn't even drink the water. It was so bad. And, and it just like, what, what are we doing here? And so we just knew that this isn't... We had a, a little fellowship going, but we knew it just not... This is not you know, where we're supposed to be. So I read this verse one day, and it says, go back the way you came. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. And it was like that still small voice saying, go back the way you came. So I'm thinking, okay, how far back? <laughs> California? Can I go back to California now? Because this is no good. I don't want to stay here anymore. But you know, the incredible thing, it was one step back. Only one step. We moved out of this house on the bay over here in, in Warwick. It was a beautiful spot. I hated to leave there when we left. I, I was like, I, my, I was just emotional. I hated to leave. When God said, go back the way you came, we went back one step into that very house. Now that, after a year later, that just doesn't happen. And we lived there for a couple, two, two and a half years, I think, until they sold the house, and then God provided another house for us. And that's a whole another miraculous story. But the point of all this is that God speaks through his word, and, and God wants to speak to you and to me. And God spoke to Elijah, said, go back and, and do what you're supposed to do. 2 Kings chapter 1, we're not going to look at it, but we see Elijah is back in action again. In fact, he's calling down fire from heaven again. Like there's, Eli there's, the, there's Elijah back doing his thing. And he could have still been back in that cave, right? 
He still could have back, been back in the wilderness there, you know. Uh, I'm no better than my ancestors. Take my life. But God had a purpose and a plan for him, and God wanted to use him, and God wants to use you as well. 2 Kings chapter 2, the end of the story for Elijah. It really isn't the end of the story. But if you read there in that chapter, it says that Elijah was taken up to heaven. He never died. He didn't face a physical death. He didn't experience death. He was like raptured and taken up to heaven. It says by a chariot and horses of fire. Now, there are only two people that are spoken about in the Bible that that this happened to. One was Elijah. Who was the other one? Enoch. We're going we're gonna to look at Enoch in a few weeks, but, but isn't it kind of interesting? Earlier, chapter 18, what, what was Elijah's prayer? Take my life, I just want to die. And what was God's answer to that? No. You're not going to die. In fact, he never does die. He's taken right up to be with him in heaven. Sometimes we got to thank God that he says no to our prayers. He says no. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, do what we want. That's why, you know, the Bible says we have to, we, we pray, but, you know, ultimately it's, is this God's will or not God's will? Just because I confess it and just because I say it's going to happen, that doesn't, if God's, if God's going to say no or if God's going to say yes, it's his purposes and plans that are important. Elijah was a man just like us, just like us. And the source of his strength was in the living God. He needed direction. He needed provision. And you and I are the same. But God is faithful to you and to me today as well. Let's close with this scripture. I'll put it on the screen for you in Acts chapter 4. He says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. What's that name? Jesus. Jesus. What was that name again? Jesus. That's a little bit better. (laughs) And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, They were astonished, and they took note, what? That these men had been with Jesus. They were just ordinary people, just like you and me. You know, there's nobody in this room, you know, that that is famous, that I am aware of. Maybe you are, and I just don't know it. But we're just ordinary folk. And Peter and John were just, they were just fishermen, but God took them and did incredible things with them. And he wants to do the same with you and with me. But what made the difference? What did the people notice? That these men had been with Jesus. What's going to make the difference in your life? That you and I, we spend time with Jesus. That's what, you know, he kind of rubs off on us. We don't rub off on him, no. He kind of rubs off on us. And and we begin to, to kind of, you know, have that fragrance of the life of Jesus that people around us say, wow, there's something different about this guy, this girl. Elijah, he's a man just like us, but 
But God took care of him, and God wants to take care of you, and he wants to take care of me. Where did we start? We started in the hall of faith. It starts with trusting him. We sang that first song, you know, God, I, my rock, I, I'll trust in you. Jesus, I'll trust in you. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, as we, as we disquiet our hearts before you and, and just surrender and submit and maybe confess that, that maybe we are kind of in ruins. We're, we're, we're needing that altar to be rebuilt. So we come and humbly just humble ourselves before you. And you, you say that if we humble ourselves before you, you'll lift us up. And it's true. So God, I pray for your people here today. Maybe, maybe one or two are struggling and completely depressed and just wish it was all over. Well, God says no. He wants to do something in your life. He wants to speak to you and he wants to give you direction. He wants to provide for you. I know it's true because I've experienced it in my own life. Over and over again. God, we call upon your name. We call upon the name of Jesus. We bend our knee. We, we fall prostrate like they did. On our faces before the Almighty God, the Almighty Lord, and we say, You are God, and there is no other. You are my God, and I will follow you. Lord, thank you for Elijah. Thank you for this account of this one man's life, just a few chapters. But I, I know you have chapters in our own lives, chapters in my life that still yet to be written. And one day, I'm going to be with you as well. But not in my time, but in yours. And, and maybe, maybe I won't have to experience death. This thing we talk about called the rapture could happen in my lifetime. I don't know. I don't know when. I don't know how, but it's part of your plan and it's written in your word, Lord. But no matter what, Lord, I just want to follow you. I just want to obey you in all the ups and all the downs of this life, the battles of this life, to follow you because you are faithful. In Jesus' name. Amen.